right now I want to have just a, a short prayer. Let's have a, let's have a little prayer before we get into this subject. This is a very important subject. Uh, sometimes it doesn't seem to be that important, but it is very important, especially to God's end time people. And so let's have a uh, a short prayer here for the Holy Spirit to bless us as we study this here this morning. So I invite you to bow your heads with me again. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much, uh, Father, for your holy word and for protecting it. We pray for the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and minds now. I pray, Father, that you be very near to the people as I present this um, this message and we study this through. I pray that they will do their own research and that they will uh, work with the Holy Spirit as he he cultivates a love of truth in their hearts and their minds and they make changes in their their lifestyle and in their families that uh, they may all be drawn closer together with thee and we with each other that we as the army of the Lord can finish this work that you've given us to do and hasten the return of Jesus give me the words to speak here this morning Lord may they not be my words but yours I pray in Jesus name Amen well, beloved, I continue in this segment of our look at uh, the body of Christ. The series I entitled, This is My Body, and this particular section is on the march. I've called it, It's God's Church. What is the purpose of God's church? We've been looking at these things. I've entitled this particular message, An Inoculated Army. An Inoculated Army. You know, inoculations... When you you think of an army, you think of the military, they're actually a way of life in the U.S. military. Did you know that? All new recruits, whether they're officers or enlisted men, they're vaccinated against various diseases during um, basic training or during officer training. Um, I talked about this one time with a friend of mine, Russ Johnston. He was a Marine, and, and before they were deployed, they got all kinds of shots for that particular area they were going into. But in basic training, you're given uh, vaccinations for different things, uh, kind of a cocktail for the common stuff. Um, And like I said, while some of these vaccinations are given during basic training, other vaccinations, or maybe you call them booster shots, they're given at various times whilst the person is in the service. And some are given only to certain designated personnel or for whatever deployment they, they go to, whatever area, the assignment, uh, to various locations around the world. Today, you know, we got this big Ebola scare, and the president uh, unconstitutionally is sending, by executive order, uh, some of our service personnel over to Liberia to fight Ebola. That's really something that's just incomprehensible to me. Um, there's, there's always the hand that's behind the back that's doing something else. Um, I've read some things where the reason they're really doing that is they're wanting to get a foothold in Africa to build some kind of a base there in reaction to the growth of the Chinese military. So whatever the reason, uh, he's doing it illegally. The only way he can deploy troops is by an act of war. He can't just, he's not a dictator, even though he thinks, I, I think in his mind he thinks he probably is, he has that power. But these guys, before they go over there, they're getting inoculated. Now, why would the military be interested in inoculating its troops against disease? Well, it's an undeniable part of history. For example, you go back and you look at the different wars. Um, You look at the Revolutionary War. Smallpox devastated the Continental Army in 1776. Um, It also... It, it, it also uh, actually devastated both sides, the, the rebels and the Union, during the Civil War. Typhoid fever was common among soldiers in the Spanish-American War. Did you know, I mean, think of this, did you know that more United States soldiers were lost to malaria than to bullets throughout the entire 20th century? I'm talking about World War I, World War II, uh, Korea, Vietnam. There were more soldiers lost to malaria than to bullets. In fact, malaria actually continues to sap military strength even today. And so, 
you know, to respond to these diseases and the many others that, that threaten both soldiers as well as the public, uh, military forces have devoted a lot of time and a lot of effort toward public health methods and medical research. And they do this in an effort to have an ever-ready, healthy, and effective military force. That's the purpose. So I have a question for you, friends. Is it different for God's army? Is it any different? Not really. God, though, as we discover, God has his own inoculation plan for all who join his army. And this plan will help protect his army from the the physical and the spiritual attacks from the enemy and the consequences of sin. It will strengthen his army for the battle against the uh, enemy of souls. It will be an incredible witness as well to the world that God's laws are binding and that God's laws are best. And that's the neat thing about it. And when God made the body, He gave specific operating and and maintenance instructions. And the Lord laid out principles for us to obey so that we may live longer. We, We can live healthier and happier lives. We can commune with Him more effectively, which will make us effective witnesses to the world in winning souls to the kingdom. That's one of the greatest purposes. And most of these principles are found actually in natural laws, the laws of our frame. Have you ever heard that expression? The laws of our frame. Such as getting enough rest, exercising our muscles. I mean, we have certain physical laws, and and I'll refer them maybe from time to time as natural laws. God is the one who created all the laws. Even the laws of nature. That's what you talk about when you say natural law. We know as individuals, if we didn't know a single thing about health, we could only walk so far before we would collapse and need rest. That's because we have natural laws. We have physical laws we have to obey. So a lot of these principles are found in those natural laws. Like I said, like getting enough rest or exercising our muscles uh, our need to eat and drink. We get hungry, so we, you know, we eat, we drink. Now, do you remember God's promise of Exodus fifteen twenty six? It was our scripture reading for today. It's usually pretty familiar, but let's take a look at it again. And I want to break up, a f- go back up a, a, a before I break it up and take a look at it. I want to back up a few verses and get the context. I want the context of that promise. If you'll remember, the children of Israel had just been delivered from the Egyptian army. Not just immediately, but this is the context of it. Um, They were delivered from the Egyptian army there at the Red Sea. Moses and the people, people, remember, they were right there and they sang a song of deliverance. And then they continued on. And this is where we pick up the story. Let's back up to Exodus 15 and verse 22. Says so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. You're talking a few million people here traveling through this wilderness. I mean, just the scope of that, let that sink in. How much water would you need? Quite a bit, wouldn't you? And so they found no water. Verse 23, and when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Mara. <laughs> and the people murmured against Moses. This is what's always so interesting. They're always murmuring against Moses, aren't they? Goodness, you bring us out here in the desert, and you bring us this water here. Are you messing with our minds? We can't even drink it. So they murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, that means he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he, what's it say there? He proved them. That's interesting. That's very interesting. I want you to pay attention to that. So what are we getting here from from 
from this story? Why is this even included? Why is this something that, that God has in the Bible for us? I mean, consider that. Why, is, why do we have this example? What's being said here? After healing the water and satisfying the physical thirst of his people, God gave them an ordinance that was connected with that particular miracle. That's what the promise of verse 26 is. Let's read the promise again. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, I've said this before, this is a wonderful promise from God. So if God's people would henceforth render strict obedience to all his commandments, then he would heal them as he had healed the water there at Marah. This is what he's saying. And he would keep them free from both physical and moral evil. And so here what he's trying to teach them is that I, I'm not just a miracle worker just to do miracles. There are reasons for it. And if you believe me, if you are obedient, if you keep my statutes, you, you do what's right in my eyes, etc., I'm going to take care of you. So he, what he's doing is he's saying that your physical well-being is made dependent upon obedience to me. So in a sense, obedience to God's laws inoculates them against disease. Now, where did they just come out of? They came out of Egypt, didn't they? They'd been in Egypt for generation after generation after generation, over 400 years. Who were the Egyptians? Did they worship God? No, the Egyptians were idolaters. They didn't obey God. They didn't obey God's health laws. You know, scientists, this is interesting, I, I read this some time ago, scientists have done blood tests. They've actually done blood tests and autopsies on Egyptian mummies. And you know what they found? Exactly. They found that they suffered from the same type of diseases that are found in America today. America's sad diet is referred to. They found heart disease, they found cancer, all kinds of different cancers. They found kidney disease. All kinds of other diseases that, that we find in, in the civilized Western culture today. History shows that the Egyptian physicians were famous all over the ancient Near East. And in their medical handbooks, some of which are over 4,000 years old, diseases were divided into three, three classes. First, those that can be treated. Second, those that can be arrested. And third, those that cannot be cured. And let me tell you, friends, uh, though medical science has advanced tremendously since the days of Moses, these classifications still stand in the world today. I mean, the surgeon can make an incision. He can remove an organ. He can sew up the wound, but he cannot heal it, can he? A physician can administer certain remedies, which he knows to have certain effects on certain ailments. But that's where his skill ends. The actual healing process is performed by a power over which human science has no control. And it's still true today. It's true in the 21st century as it was in the time of Moses that God alone imparts healing. He is, as he said, the Lord that healeth thee. And so the physical well-being of the human race is still dependent upon their regard for divine law, to those natural laws and God's commandments and statutes. He is the lawgiver. And those who disregard the uh, laws that govern healthful living have but themselves to blame for the consequences. Isn't that right? On the other hand, those who live according to God's instructions on health will experience what? They're going to experience freedom from disease and, 
and more effectiveness in witnessing for Christ. Your mind's going to be clearer. So that communication conduit between you and God is going to be less static. It's going to have less static. You'll be more effective. And God is interested not only in our spiritual state, friends, but in our physical state. Do you believe that? John tells us that. Third epistle of John, verse 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So not only physical health, but spiritual health as well. Because they work together, don't they? And I want you to notice that it isn't just commandments and statutes that the Lord's speaking about in that promise we found in verse 26, but it's also listening to His voice. Isn't that what He said? Hearken to my voice. That's what He said. And He said, and doing what is right in His sight. Well, in order to do what is right in His sight, you've got to know what is right and wrong, don't you? So you've got to know what God's laws are, what God expects of us. One way to listen to God's voice is through prayer, isn't it? Another would be through, what, the study of the Scriptures. Or another way would be to hearken to the testimonies that He's you know, graciously given to us through the pen of the end-time Elijah prophet, Ellen White. What about doing what's right in His sight? Well... Of course, that's ultimately based upon obeying His commandments and statutes, but also notice what James says in James 4 and verse 17. He says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. So, when we learn God's principles, and we learn the natural laws of our body temple, and we ignore these good things that we've learned, then we've committed sin. And what are the wages of sin? Wages of sin is death. So I hope you can see that, that this is what God is saying in His promise there in Exodus fifteen twenty six. This is what He's saying. So I say let's diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord our God as He, he inoculates His army for the battle of the ages which is just on our, the horizon, friends. Now, I'm referring to it as inoculation, God's inoculation plan. It's known by many biblical health students as the eight laws of health. And there are many different acronyms, you know, used by different health ministries to teach these laws of health, such as God's plan or New Start, right? But whatever acronym is used, these principles are the same. Each one of them, they teach... To trust in God, they teach about the importance of pure air to the body, uh, getting sunshine, uh, abstemiousness, which is temperance, uh, exercise, correct rest, the right and proper use of water and nutrition. And I could spend every Sabbath for the next year easily uh, with these principles in one way or another, but I don't have the time today to just get so deeply into each one and delve into each principle, so I'll give you some highlights as I know them. And and I'm still learning about this inoculation process. That's a part of the education when you walk with Jesus. And I'll encourage you to do your own study and continue on in your walk in learning these principles that God has for us, uh, His remnant people. But we're going to go through these eight inoculations, so to speak. And uh, take a look at them. The first inoculation is to trust in divine power. To trust God. Trust and obey. Yeah, we sang it this morning. Trust and obey. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and morrow to thy bones. Trust in God. Why is trust in God so important to us? Why is it so important? Isn't God's way the best way? 
his instructions on our entire lifestyle of how of how to live, how to eat, think, act is subject to his design. I mean, he he made us. In other words, God created each one of us to fulfill a divine purpose for our existence. And so when we talk about God's Word, we talk about the Bible, it's like an instruction and repair manual for our lives. Much like the one we get when, you know, you purchase a car or an appliance, only it's in much more greater detail than any of those. But simply because God designed and made us. So only He really knows how we function. The psalmist David wrote in Psalms 119 and verse 73, he said, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. And this is why trusting God is so vital to our existence. When we understand that God wants uh, us to do what He wants us to do with our life, when we trust Him in the daily stress and and trials that we have. When we come to Him often in prayer and study, and by His grace and power we perform His directives as He guides our life, then we are placing true faith and trust in God and in His Word. Because He knows what's best. He created us for a purpose. And He knows the purpose. And God sent Jesus here as an example for us to see His character more fully, to earn our trust, so to speak. And as we look at the life of Jesus Christ while He lived among us, we see that He could handle every situation. We see how He did it. And if we would study His life and, and trust his, his example and teachings, we would experience a lifestyle that would give us What? All the best benefits. Perfect peace, give us happiness, good health. Trust in God. So the Bible says, taste and see that God is good. And when you see that God is good, you learn step by step to trust Him more and more because God doesn't lie. And you come to a point where you find that God has your best interest at heart always. Always. A second inoculation is fresh air. Genesis 1 verse 8 says, And God called the firmament heaven. And the heaven mentioned here as being created by God on the second day refers to our atmospheric heaven. It includes the air we breathe and upon which life on earth depends. You know, without food, you'll die in a few weeks. Isn't that true? Without water, you'll die in a few days. Without air, you'll die in a few minutes. Yeah, if you can live in the country, get out of the city, you'll have pure air to, to breathe. <coughs> blood and cells are dependent. The blood and cells in our bodies are dependent upon oxygen. Fresh air invigorates our vital organs. It aids the, our system in ridding itself of impurities. Fresh air also brings life to the skin and has a decided influence on our mind. Sometimes when I'm studying a lot, I'm at my office, I might be preparing a sermon, I'll take a break and I'll go out and I'll get some fresh air. Clears my mind. Fresh air contains negative ions which help our immune system fight disease. And the lack of fresh air, well, it causes some specific problems, you know, such as fevers and colds, a lot of lung diseases. Let me share this with you. This is from Testimonies, Volume 2, pages 67 and 68. It says, The stomach liver, lungs, and brain are suffering for want of deep, full inspirations of air, which would electrify the blood. You get that? It will electrify the blood and impart to it a bright, lively color 
and which alone can keep it pure and give tone and vigor to every part of the living machinery. So it, fresh air does what? It electrifies the blood. It gives it a lively color because you're getting rid of the impurities and you're bringing in the oxygen. I think a good habit is to go outside in the fresh air and you know, take several slow, deep breaths in the morning you know, or after a meal before you go to bed at night. And as we enjoy this time of relaxation, we can give thanks to our Creator that giveth breath unto the people, as Isaiah says. Remembering that He giveth to all life and breath and all things, Paul said in Acts 17.25. So let everything that hath breath, what? Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord, Psalm 150. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And I tell you what, I appreciate it more and more being able to breathe. Because my lungs are scarred up and I have less capacity than I used to have. A third inoculation is sunshine. Sunshine is very important to good health, isn't it? You know that? Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day. Isn't that interesting? To rule the day. You take a look at sunlight, it consists of actually several types of energy, such as uh, cosmic gamma and x-rays. It has ultraviolet and infrared light. Um, It has a visible light of all kinds of different colors as well. The rainbow of colors of visible light make our earth and the things God created beautiful to look at. We're getting into the we're into the fall here in, in the Midwest and the leaves are dying and changing. The, the, some of them have remarkable, brilliant colors. And it grabs our attention and we and it's beautiful to us. Do you know that every living thing in our world is dependent upon sunlight? What if we had no sun? There'd be no life, friends. Because nothing would live. (laughs) Do some research into it. Sunshine has been shown to to lower blood sugar and blood pressure. It lowers cholesterol. How does it do that? It converts it to vitamin D, which our body needs. It utilizes um, calcium and and, uh, phosphorus. It increases our red blood cells. It actually increases white blood cells too. It strengthens the immune system. It calms the nerves. It increases adrenaline. It destroys germs on the skin. It destroys bacteria. You know, that's why on sunny days you want to open your curtains up and let the sun shine in. (laughs) Gets rid of that bacteria and germs. It reverses jaundice. It increases our circulation. It helps eliminate pesticides and other chemicals from our our system. It does a lot for us. From Testimonies, Volume 7, page 85. Pure air, good water, sunshine, the beautiful surroundings of nature. These are God's means for restoring the sick to health. These are God's means. What's she say? Pure air, good water, sunshine, beautiful surroundings in nature. So as Deb had said earlier, get out of the cities, get into the country. Get into nature. Just being in nature has a positive influence upon you physically, mentally, and spiritually, friends. Start the day with exposing your face and body to the sun for... Oh, 10 to 15 minutes. Gradually increase your time to 30 to 45 minutes a day. But don't get sunburned. Don't get sunburned. 
those people who are diabetics and people who have light skin, they're, they're more susceptible to sunburn. So be very careful. If your skin uh, turns to a light pink, then get out of the sun. You're burning your skin. The best time for sunbathing, at least in our area, is between 9 and 10 in the morning and between 4 and 5 in the afternoon, depending on the time of year. Yeah. Yeah, sunbathing isn't nece- like you said, isn't necessarily bad. Right. It's those who actually overdo it right. for other reasons than health. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But you know, if you work outside, you'll get exposure to, to sun. Just you just don't want to burn your skin and that's what you gotta be very, very careful about. Uh, Notice this from Steps to Christ, page 68. As the flower turns to the sun, that the bright beams may aid in perfecting its beauty and symmetry, so should we turn to the sun of righteousness, that heaven's light may shine upon us, that our character may be developed in the likeness of Christ. So she's using this example of a flower turning to the sun, and we need to turn to Jesus. But we need that sunshine for a healthy physical body. Ecclesiastes 11 and 7 says, Truly the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Like I said earlier today, you'd think we lived in Seattle, Washington, and I mentioned that because Seattle is like uh, receives the least amount of sunlight in our country per year. We haven't seen the sun very much at all in the last few weeks. It's been rainy, cloudy, it gets depressing. <laughs> you like to see the sunshine. And so when you read that, like you read in Ecclesiastes, our Savior, the Son of God, He's linked with the sun and all of its benefits. And as we see the sun in the sky above, let's also remember what we read in Malachi 4 and verse 2. Unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings. Part of having healing, having good health. A fourth inoculation is abstemiousness. In Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. God there at the very beginning said, There are some things you can eat, there are some things you can't eat. Right? Abstemiousness means temperance. True temperance teaches us to dispense entirely with everything that's harmful, but also to use judiciously that which is healthful. So, you know, avoid anything that's harmful to your body, if at all possible. This includes liquor, drugs, tobacco, overeating, eating between meals, Foods with tons of sugar, strong condiments, certain spices, caffeinated foods, you know, chocolates. People go, chocolate? Oh no. Some sodas, coffees and teas contain caffeine unless you get, um, you know, specifically ones that are decaffeinated. Large combinations of food. You've got to be very careful with that. Grease and fat. Excess salt. Animal foods. These are things that are, can be very harmful to your body. And when I say drugs, I mean, you've got to be very careful what you do. I'm, I'm right now, I'm currently on some medication because of my kidney disease and such. And neither, Yeah, I'm not happy about that. You know, but until we can find a natural way of replacing those, I'm kind of stuck. Okay? So let's use our minds. Let's use common sense. Most of the time i found, friends, that most people know what's not good for them. <laughs> okay? 
Most times we do. We know. And so we've got to be careful about that, don't we? Let's not injure ourselves. Let's not kill ourselves. Self-murder is against God's law, friends. But uh, let me share this with you. It's from a Review and Herald article, September 5, 1899. Indulgence in eating too frequently and in too large quantities overtaxes the digestive organs and produces a feverish state of the system. The blood becomes impure and then diseases of various kinds occur. And I bring this up because many times we do know what's not good for us and we avoid that, but we do other things. Like we overeat or we eat too often. I run into, oh, you'd be amazed at the number of Adventists I run into. Adventists who should know, have the counsel. My uncle, one of them, for example, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm on this plan, I eat five times a day. Seriously? Yeah. Every time I get hungry, I eat a little bit. It hasn't improved his health. And it goes against what we've been counseled, doesn't it? Indulgence in eating too frequently, she says. It overtaxes our system. Notice this, Testimonies, Volume 3, page 491. Abstemiousness, and again, that's temperance, in diet and control of the passions, will preserve the intellect and give mental and moral vigor, enabling men to bring all their propensities under the control of the higher powers, that's the powers of reason, and to discern between right and wrong, the sacred and the common. So what does temperance do? It helps us to control our passions. It helps us to tell the difference between right and wrong, what's sacred and what's common. It, it allows us to have the higher powers of our mind control the lower powers of the senses. Pretty important, isn't it? Paul said in Romans 12, verses 1-2, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Paul's saying, let's not be conformed to this world and their habits and their foods and all that. But let's present our bodies as a living sacrifices acceptable unto God. And I'll tell you, and let's remember this, that genuine self-control is a gift from God that we can only receive from Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 15, 5, He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do what? Nothing. You won't have any self-control without Jesus, friends. Remember, even when we get to the end of our rope, we have someone of infinite power and strength. We have that store of resources, you could say, uh, that will help us in every time of need. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So without Christ we can do nothing, but with Him we can do all things. So don't get discouraged. Uh, fifth inoculation is exercise. In Genesis 2 and verse 15, we read, And the Lord God took the man Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to lounge around on the sofa and take it easy the rest of his life. Yeah, right. No, it doesn't say that at all, does it? He put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. <laughs> the Lord created us so marvelously, friends. I mean, just take a look at our bodies and see how wonderful we're put together. And after we were created, the Lord gave us an exercise program. God's original plan was for people to be active. He gave Adam a work to do. He gave Eve a work to do. Physical activity is necessary to, to maintain all our body functions, to keep a... a reserve physical capacity to handle emergency situations even. 
from the book Healthful Living, pages 131-132. God designed that the living machinery should be in daily activity, for in this activity or motion is its preserving power. The more we exercise, the better will be the circulation of the blood. The Bible tells us that the life is in the blood. We need to have good blood. And that blood needs to circulate. So some vigorous physical activity on a regular basis is needed in order to, to prevent our bodies from, from what? Deteriorating. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? But I'm going to tell you, friends, always check with your physician before beginning any, any exercise program. Okay? Notice this, Testimonies, Volume 2, page 533. Moderate exercise every day will impart strength to the muscles. What did she say? What kind of exercise? Moderate. Moderate. There are gyms and, and uh, uh, facilities everywhere where people overdo it. They're actually taxing their body. She says, moderate exercise every day will impart strength to the muscles, which without exercise become flabby and enfeebled. Well, we are of an age, at least I am, that we recognize this. <laughs> right? But I'll tell you, friends, the, the Lord requires us to, to be as physically fit as we possibly can. So mild to moderate exercise might be, I don't know, 15 minutes to an hour of walking, uh, bicycling, swimming. You can even do manual labor at a pace that causes the heart rate uh, to increase. And if it's maintained, um, I've read, you know, between 50 to 85% of its capacity for the duration of that exercise period, it does you good. And this needs to be done about every other day. Again, and I stress this, check with your doctor before beginning any exercise program. You know, don't have a heart attack and say, well, Pastor Joel told me I needed to do this. Check with your doctor, okay? Testimonies, Volume 3, page 78. There is no exercise, and I like this, and I've used this, and I've told people this. There is no exercise. What does that mean? No exercise. There is no exercise that can take the place of what? Walking. Oh, I, I go out and I jog five miles a, a day and, and I do that. I'm sorry, you have a prophet of the Lord that says, there is no exercise that can take the place of walking. She says, by it the circulation of the blood is greatly improved. Walking, in all cases where it is possible, is the best remedy for the diseased bodies. Because in this, all of the organs of the body are brought into use. There it is. Get out and walk a few miles every day. If you can. Everyone knows, I mean, it's not, as you get older, you'll know this more and more, that our bodies are slowly wearing out. I mean, we can slow down significantly the rate of decline, but someday the silver cord is going to break, isn't it? And as it says in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. And my friends, I'll tell you, that ending would be sad, except that it's not really the end for those who've accepted Jesus Christ. Amen? Because Jesus is going to return someday very, very soon. And you know what's going to happen? We're going to get perfect bodies. But right now, we've got to deal with what we got. Got to play the hand that's been dealt to us, right? A sixth inoculation. And I better get moving on this. A sixth inoculation is water. Genesis 2 and verse 10. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. Well, if you think about it, friends, the body requires water constantly, pretty much. Most of this water is recycled within our body itself. However, it must have a replacement of water every day. About 400 gallons, do you know this? About 400 gallons of blood pass through the kidneys every day. 
and about 50 gallons is actually filtered. And of this amount, only about five to six cups of water are lost when you, you urine, in through the urine, when you urinate. Another two cups is exhaled through the lungs in the form of water vapor. A half a cup is lost through the bowels, and two cups are evaporated from the skin through the two million sweat glands. Yeah, you are. And of the ten cups of water that, on average that are lost per day, we gain about three cups in the food that we eat, and maybe another one and a half is available as a, a, a byproduct of, of just metabolism. This leaves a minimum of five and a half cups of water per day that must be replaced by drinking water. And that's eight ounce cups I'm talking about. And remember that that's a minimum requirement. It's healthful to drink more than that to ensure that we have all we need and to keep the body functioning properly and also to, helps to rid us of toxins and wastes. Remember that the one inoculation that we talked about was temperance. You can overdo drinking even water. There are some that push drinking water, 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 and you spend most of your day in the bathroom. It's rather ridiculous. So let's not go overboard, but let's get enough. Amen? Healthful living, page 226. Water is the best liquid possible to cleanse the tissues. Drink some a little time before or after a meal. Now I'm going to talk about that in just a second here. You know, when I grew up, we drank with every meal. And my dad would say things, as an old saying, need to wash it down, right? Food should not be washed down, though. <laughs> no drink is actually needed with meals. Well, if it's a particularly dry meal, the counsel is, yeah, drink some juice, you know. Some sips, usually juice, because you're creating the di you're getting the digestive fluids going, and that's part of the digestion process. But even in juice, it has water. But eat slowly. Allow the saliva to mingle with your food. That helps digestion, and uh, because the more liquid there is in the stomach with the meals, the more difficult it is for the food to digest. Because what needs to happen first is that that liquid has to be absorbed before it can digest. Many people make a mistake in drinking cold water with their meals. And when you do that, it actually diminishes the flow of saliva from your glands. And the, so the colder the water, the greater in, uh, injury to your stomach because it first must heat it up, but then the, you don't have as much saliva down there to digest and it just disrupts everything. It takes... More energy, it causes more stress. The best time to drink your water is, uh, when, when you talk about meals, is a half hour before or an hour after you eat. Also, I've read it, you know, a couple large glasses of tepid water first thing in the morning, maybe with some lemon, uh, assists your, your bowels with elimination. It jump starts your organs, gets them going. But that's not the only purpose is inside our bodies. Water doesn't just clean the inside, but the outside of the body too. And there's nothing, I'll tell you friends, so refreshing as taking a shower or a bath every day. There's a reason that it, you feel refreshed. It opens up the pore of our skin. It lets it breathe as it washes away the toxins that we have on our skin. Councils on Health, page 104. The bath soothes the nerves. It promotes general perspiration. It quickens the circulation, overcomes obstruction in the system, and acts beneficially on the kidneys and the urinary organs. Bathing helps the bowels, stomach, and liver, giving energy and new life to each. It also promotes digestion, and instead of the system being weakened, it is strengthened, and a more easy and regular flow of the blood through all the blood vessels is obtained. I know some people, I'll tell you, I'm, they don't take a bath. I'm not talking days. I'm talking weeks. But I'll tell you, God wants us to be clean. He wants us to be spiritually and physically clean. I'll share another one with you. Healthful Living, page 143. Impurities are constantly and imperceptibly passing from the body through the pores, and if the surface of the skin is not kept in a healthy condition...
the system is burdened with impure matter. And if the garments worn are not frequently cleansed, the pores of the skin absorb again the waste matter thrown off. The impurities of the body are taken back into the blood and forced upon the internal organs. So, let's get that laundry done, right? Other benefits of water are hydrotherapy. You know, hot and cold fomentation. Enemas, huh? Yep. (laughs) Sometimes. A pure river of water was provided for in Eden to refresh the garden and man. And one day soon we'll have access to a pure river of water. Because remember what we read? We read earlier in Sabbath school today. John the River later. He says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Pure water. We go down to Florida and they have springs down there and, and uh, they're clear. Pure, clear water. You can see down and see fish swimming. and, and uh, They may be 50 feet below the surface, but it looks like they're about 3 or 4 feet. That's how clear the water is. It's amazing. A seventh inoculation is rest. And we know something about that. What is today? Sabbath means rest, doesn't it? Today's the Sabbath day. Notice this, Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Well, of course, friends, God did not rest on the seventh day because he was tired or fatigued. The rest simply means he ceased a particular activity. In this case, God had ceased his work of creation and was sanctifying or setting apart the seventh day for something else. Namely, fellowship with Adam and Eve as they enjoyed that newly created earth together. Thus, the seventh day was set apart, friends, for all time. God said we're to keep it holy. That's a reminder of the truth about our earth's creation as a a day to worship God, our Creator. Rest is so important to life that the vital organs are designed with built-in rest periods. Did you know that? The heart rests between each beat. The lungs between each breath. The stomach rests between each meal, if it's given time to do that. The central nervous system is recharged when you sleep. The body requires plenty of rest to heal. And sleep is the greatest rejuvenator. It restores strength to the muscles, the nerves, the brain. During sleep, the body repairs itself. It re-energizes. It prepares for renewed activity. And I've read this before. Studies have shown that one hour of sleep before midnight is equal to two hours of sleep after midnight. To To a particular point. During a day of work and activity, toxins build up in our system that can't immediately be thrown off. And those toxins produce fatigue. We know what fatigue is. You know, we get weary at the end of the day. That's fatigue. Sleep gives the body time to expel wastes and to make repairs. And the whole body, including the digestive organs, need to rest. Again, Healthful Living, page 84. The stomach, when we lie down to rest, should have its work done, that it may enjoy rest, as well as other portions of the body. The work of digestion should not be carried on through any period of the sleeping hours. will get more into that in a minute. But I want to make sure that you know that rest is not synonymous with the word sleep, because there are different types of rest. Here are four types of rest. First, you have physical rest. That's sitting or lying down or relaxing or sleeping. Right? Then you have sensory rest. That's quietness and refraining from using your senses, like your eyes. You close your eyes. There's an emotional rest. You withdraw from the ups and downs caused by personal interactions with people. You just want to be away from people. Get an emotional rest. There's a mental rest. You detach your mind from all intellectual demands or activity. Men have what they call their nothing box. That's definitely a mental rest. 
They can go there and they think of nothing. Not everybody knows what the nothing was. Oh, I know. Let's just skip right on over that. But that's a mental rest for men. Here's some good ideas for getting a good rest. First, get the sleep your body needs, at least eight hours a day and several hours before midnight if possible. Uh, Second, um, don't neglect that important rest we need, such as taking a leisurely walk or sitting in a porch swing, which my wife loves to do. We don't have one, but she loves to do that. While we look at the, the you know nature or a lake or a campfire or whatever, you know, go go to the ocean or read the scriptures or whatever. That's a that's a type of rest. Steps to Christ, page seventy. A life in Christ is a life of restfulness. <clears throat> there may be no ecstasy of feeling, but there should be an abiding peaceful trust. Your hope is not in yourself, it is in Christ. Your weakness is united to his strength, your ignorance to his wisdom, your frailty to his enduring might. Let the mind dwell upon his love, upon the beauty, the perfection of his character. That will give you a spiritual rest, friends. Rest also means to cease from our worries and the cares of the day. We are given only one day at a time, aren't we, friends? And no one knows, no one can predict what the next day will bring. It could be better than we think. It could be worse. But it could be better, especially if we heed the invitation of, of God. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. The eighth inoculation is nutrition. Genesis 1 and verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, or, you know, food. This is a very in-depth principle to study. And I'm not going to get into great detail. It would take days. Uh, and I encourage you, you know, to study it out for yourself. We have some links on the church website you can follow. Uh, you know, and I encourage you to do that. Proper nutrition, though, is vital to good health. Food that is devitalized cannot supply the vitamins and minerals the body lacks. Therefore, it's of utmost importance that we choose our food wisely. What is nutrition? What's the definition of nutrition? You're reading the notes. <laughs> According to Merriam-Webster, it means the act or process of nourishing or being nourished. Specifically, the sum of the processes by which an animal or plant takes in and utilizes food substances. So according to the Bible, vegetables and fruits should make up the greater proportion of our meals, along with whole grains, beans, legumes, and seeds. Nuts can be included in small amounts because they usually have a lot of fat in them good fat though um, from our food we'll obtain all the elements do you know this? essential for good health we, re- we get vitamins, minerals, water carbohydrates, protein, fats we get fiber and our food should be prepared with simplicity and variation perhaps only three or four dishes at a meal sometimes one, it just depends but it needs to be properly cooked too Food should be carefully chosen, should be prepared with intelligence, with skill. Avoid the use of grease, you know, lard, butter, hydrogenated vegetable fats. That can be classified as grease. Definitely want to stay away from lard. Butter is another animal product. If using oil, use natural oils. Use them sparingly such as olive oil or flax seed oil. Keep it refrigerated. Grape seed. Avoid processed or refined sugar if you can. It's not good for the stomach because, you know, it causes fermentation. That's the issue. Milk and sugar clog the system. They irritate the digestive organs. They affect our brain. And the prophet has told us that sugar, when largely used, is more injurious than eating meat. Did you know that? Fruits and vegetables should not be eaten at the same meal as vegetables take longer to digest so the fruits will ferment in the stomach. 
Now, uh, oh, I can't think of his name right right now. Veith. Veith came out with a book, and uh, it it helps to describe more clearly what are vegetables and what are fruits. Okay. So you you can look at that. But I suggest, you know, eat fruits at one meal and vegetables at another. Eat raw vegetable salads or raw fruits before your your actual main course because that stimulates, that helps to stimulate the digestive system. It also helps you to avoid overeating the cooked foods. <laughs> so... Yes, yeah, some some can be eaten like the, tomato. like the tomato. It can be eaten with fruits, or it can be eaten with vegetables. And and he he covers that. I just don't have that here right now. Um, but eat sparingly. You know, eat for strength, not for drunkenness. Uh, the benefit you actually get from food doesn't depend so much upon the amount that you eat as upon the proper combination and the and the proper digestion of it. Overeating clogs the machinery, weakens our moral power to resist the other passions. And eat at regular intervals, allowing five or six hours between meals. Uh, Don't snack between meals. Um, Drink a large glass of water or something if you you seem to be hungry before the next meal. Don't eat before going to bed. Because as we already covered before, the stomach needs to rest along with everything else. Um, Eat a substantial breakfast in the morning. After a good night's rest, stomach is better able to digest a hearty meal than, than at any other meals of the day. Uh, two meals a day is better than three. If you need a third meal, it should be a light meal. And several hours before you go to bed. Uh, in grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds are found all the food elements to make good blood. So reduce the fats, the oils, the salt, the sugars in your diet. Avoid high cholesterol foods such as eggs, cheese, butter, meats. Uh, All animal foods contain cholesterol, and that includes chicken and fish, friends. And speaking of flesh foods, in the beginning God didn't allow for the use of meat. Flesh was permitted in man's diet for the first time only after the floodwaters had annihilated all vegetable uh, matter. But even then only certain meats were allowed, certain animals were allowed. In Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, the requirements are clearly laid out. Um, I'll share this with you as I try to close up here. This is from Leviticus 11, beginning with verse 3. Whatsoever parteth the hoof and is cloven-footed and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. So it has to have what? It has to have a split hoof. It has to chew the cud, right? Then it goes on. Nevertheless, these shall not... Shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof? As the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. And the coney, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. That's kind of like a groundhog, a rabbit type of animal. He is unclean unto you. And the hare, that's like a rabbit, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof. He's unclean unto you. And the swine, what's a swine? It's a pig, isn't it? Though he divide the hoof and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud. That's because he eats every about everything. He's a scavenger. He's unclean to you, friends. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass ye shall not touch. They are unclean to you. These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters, whatsoever hath fins and scales in the waters, in the seas and in the rivers. You can eat that. And all that have not fins and scales in the seas and in the rivers... Of all that move in the waters, of any living thing which is in the waters, they shall be an abomination unto you. Like catfish has a skin. It doesn't have scales. Can't eat that. So that's just an example. So all animals which don't have a split hoof and chew the cud are not to be eaten. All the marine animals that have fins and scales are counted as clean. All others are abomination to God. I mean, think about that. That eliminates oysters, shrimp, Crabs, clams, eels, catfish, lobsters, crayfish. Again, scavengers used pretty much have been forbidden as articles of diet for us. So, keep that in mind. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, and 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? 
which ye have of God, and you are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So friends, you know, I'll tell you that God's dietary laws are not arbitrary enactments that deprive man of the joy of eating and drinking. <laughs> okay? But rather they're sound, sensible laws that man will do well to heed if he wishes to have good health or regain good health. On the whole, it will be found that the food God approves is the same food men have found best. And that disagreement, if you look at this, the disagreement doesn't come in the things approved, but in the things forbidden. I've found that over and over and over. But the sincere Christian considers his body to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, just as Paul stated. And appreciation of this fact will lead him, among other things, to eat and drink to the glory of God. That is, to regulate his diet according to God's revealed will. To be consistent then, beloved, we need to accept and obey the principles that we find in God's Word, those principles we find in Leviticus 11, those principles we find in Deuteronomy 14, or do all away with all flesh foods would be my encouragement to you. For we find in these principles the, the plan that God has to inoculate His army so that it can help and aid it in the victory, to have victory in this great controversy. And like I said earlier, I mean, I could go into such greater detail for every one of them. And, uh, and even some objections. I may, next time we get together, I may talk about some of the common objections that are raised. You know, such as, oh, God said it was okay for us to eat anything now because of what Peter saw. Well, we could get into that next time, possibly. So, uh, But I want to close with this, what Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 8. He said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things, friends. The things I've shared. Do your own study. Think on those things and the principles God has laid out. Think on them. Because they're, they're virtuous. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again thank you for this Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the principles that you've laid out throughout the inspired writings that will aid us in having good health or bring us back to good health and which will aid us as a people to be witnesses for thee that your laws are not only binding, but they're just, they bring happiness and health. I pray that you'll be with each one who, who's listened to this, that, that you'll aid them in their own study and uh, in the changes that need to be made in their life to come more into accordance to your will, that there may be greater communication between you and them and that they may be a positive, powerful witness to the world that you're a righteous God and you seek our happiness and our, our best always. We thank you so much that you care and love us so much. And we praise your holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name, for he's so worthy.